Good morning. Are we all well? Enjoying summer? Um, I've decided I'm going to dub this summer the summer of the classics because classics are, are coming back in. I don't know if you've picked up, but classic clothing is back in. Caroline and I are moving to um, Birmingham next week, so I'm throwing out all of my crew clothing and replacing it with Reebok and Adidas and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and all of the classic films have been back too. So there was a remake of Aladdin, um, Toy Story 3 came out 20 years after Toy Story 2, um, and The Lion King did a remake as well. We, we went and saw that a couple of weeks ago. Um, if you haven't seen it, don't bother, the original is, is way better. Um, but The Lion King, if you don't know, is a story about um, a lion, a cub lion called Simba. And he is the son of King Mufasa. Uh, and, and right at the start of the film, um, Simba is introduced to his future calling and identity. He is told that he will rule and reign over Pride Rock, that he will take the place of his father, King Mufasa, when he dies, and he will reign over all of Pride Rock, and he will look after everything that the light touches. No small task at all. And then so the film goes on, and Simba begins to unpack his identity and his future, and he goes on this journey of understanding exactly what that might mean and what that might look for him. And one of the first things that he said to his dad is, I'm going to do whatever I want when I'm king. Uh, and so he's trying to understand what it might look like to have all this power in his life and all this rule and authority. And then show as we might expect, he rushes off and he tries to do a load of things in his own strength. And he thinks, well, I'm going to be king so I can do whatever I want and I have all this strength so I can do anything that I would like to. And that gets him in a load of trouble, if you've seen the film. He ends up uh, in an elephant graveyard and a load of hyenas come and attack him and his dad comes and has to bail him out. And then that kickstarts um, a series of events where um, his father then ends up dying. And then Simba moves from this place of thinking that he can do whatever he wants in his own strength um, to pendulum swinging to the other side to believe that he's worthless and can't do anything. So he runs away. And he runs away from his calling and identity and believes that he has nothing to give. Now, why exactly, you're wondering, am I talking about The Lion King? Well, I think that um, there's a lot of parallels that we can draw for our lives today. It's a familiar story to all of us. Bouncing between these polar opposites of believing that we can do things in our own strength and then thinking that we're absolutely worthless and have nothing to give. This balance between having confidence in ourself and our own fleshly ability and, and then insecurity. The balance between confidence in self and insecurity, the two different things. Thinking on one hand, I'm worthless and I'm insecure and I've got nothing to contribute. But then on the other side, maybe having a burst of confidence and thinking I can push through and do this in my own strength and I don't need anybody else to help me. Well, in today's postcard, scripture, as we've already heard today, shows us exactly how to um, address this imbalance that we feel. We've already heard it, but we'll read it again. John 3.30, it says, He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. And John, um, who wrote this, um, finds himself in, a, in an interesting situation where after a period of time of him being seen as the rabbi and the one that everyone goes to, um, for wisdom, suddenly everyone's turning the corner and going to Jesus and asking Jesus for wisdom and teaching. And just as John used to baptize people, suddenly Jesus was baptizing people. And so people turn to John and say, what do you feel about this? Surely this feels strange to you that you used to be doing all this stuff and suddenly this other man, this Jesus person is doing this. Well, John's response is quite simple. He says, we can celebrate that. He says, don't look to me, look to him. Because John knew that it was God's power working through him all along. 
He knew that it was God who should be taking the glory and not him in the first place. And therefore, he understood that Jesus was taking his rightful place in that scene. But others around him didn't understand that because that felt countercultural to them because they were told to look to yourself for ambition and for pride and to be recognized. And I don't think much has changed in the world today. In fact, it's probably worse than it's ever been. Insecurity in our identity is rife across all of society. You only have to look outside your front door to see people looking anywhere and everywhere they possibly can to affirm their identity. In clothes, in possessions, in relationships, turning to drugs and alcohol, uh, in their job or their status, having a family, exam results, even changing your gender in order to find your identity. It's everywhere across society. And we in this group of people aren't immune. I'm certainly not. I stand here knowing that I struggle with that myself. The world is packed full of people telling us to thrive and achieve and do well in life. So it's no wonder we feel the pressure to do well in life and to, and to succeed. Everybody inherently wants to live a remarkable life. And that's no bad thing, but it's the route that we get there that's important to take notice. It's wired in us from day one to achieve. If we look at little babies, we clap and smile when they, when they smile or when they walk or when they say a first word. It's the first thing that we learn that if we perform, we will be applauded and we'll be approved. But the problem is that all of those routes that we grasp towards fall short. They all lead to insecurity. But Paul in the New Testament refers to insecurity as confidence in the flesh. So confidence in our own ability. And the top side of this looks like assurance in attributes that we know that we possess um, and associate with worthiness. But the bottom side looks like the opposite. It looks like sadness and insecurity from not possessing those attributes that we assign with worthiness. And this is really important to understand that this is a problem that we face because it absolutely gets in the way of God's best for our life and God's plan for us. The only way that we can find our security in our identity is in Jesus. It's all a question of identity. And John knew this. He knew that his security and identity was sure. He knew that as a follower of Jesus, that was his primary identity. It wasn't in baptizing people or being a rabbi. And he knew that it was a follower of Jesus that he would find that. And Simba, in the story of the Lion King, eventually learned about his identity too. After he tried to do all these things in his own strength and it failed, and then he ran away and thought that he was worthless, he bumped into someone um, and he taught him a little bit about life. Let's watch this clip. He lives in you. What an amazing phrase to help us um, walk through life and follow Jesus, knowing that he lives in me, he lives in you. And John understood that God was working through him and that it was for God's glory. That's how he could be secure no matter, no matter what. He knew that it was him who lived in him. He knew that it was right to say less of me and more of him. And Paul in Galatians puts it perfectly. He says this, It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And that is true for each and every one of us in this room. It is no longer us who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. In its purest terms, the life that we now lead as followers of Jesus is not ours, but his. The life that we now lead as followers of Jesus is not ours, but his. When we're functioning well, when we're functioning at our best, we should be following his leading, his prompting, and his guiding, and not our own. And generally speaking, we will either feel overly confident in ourselves or not worthy enough. And that's generally this balance, this tension that we find ourselves caught between. And I know that whenever I'm feeling insecure, whenever I'm feeling unable to do something um, or, or overly aware of my brokenness, I find it really helpful to remember this, that it's not about me. My brokenness is irrelevant. Any skill and gifting comes from him. 
2 Corinthians says, but he said to me, my power is made perfect in weakness. And then it goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. It is so countercultural, but it is so amazingly freeing and releasing. It's where we see the real fruit in life, where we see the kingdom really coming, when we realize and walk in the reality that we need his power to be working through us and that it's not in ourselves. I actually I find it really interesting that I chat to so many people who end up um, coming forward to pray for people um, after a celebration. And there's so many people that I chat to that say, well, I, I really went forward and I really didn't know because who am I to think that I can pray for someone. And then, and then I had this word and I prayed for someone and, and it was amazing because they, they thought it was like God speaking directly to them and I just couldn't believe it. But I never thought that I could possibly be that person that does that. And I find time and time again that when people step out in a place where they feel uncomfortable and they know beyond a doubt the only way that something of a miracle could happen was if God came through. And if it was their own weakness that was allowing God's power to work through them. Carl and I, as I said earlier, are moving to Birmingham, so we're moving house, we're moving city, we're moving jobs, we're having a baby, I'm starting training. There's like a million and one things going on all at the same time. And we know beyond a doubt there is only one way that it could all come together and work, and it's if it's completely surrendered to him, and we let his power work through us, and we don't try and strive and make anything happen, but we just let him be the one that guides us step by step, day by day. We're trying really hard not to plan things and not to predict what things might look like, because we want to follow his plan, and we just go, we can't make this happen. It's all on him. And that's really freeing and releasing when we say less of us and more of him. He must increase, we must decrease. That's exactly what John knew when he was saying that he must increase. He knew that it was not only just about God having the increase in terms of the glory, but he knew that it was only God that could bring the glory and bring the increase. It was only God that could bring the growth and bring the increase. And I find that particularly helpful as well when I'm striving to do something by myself and doing it in my own strength. 1 Corinthians says this, So so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. John understood perfectly that it was God that did the increase. It's God that makes things grow. Anything that we try and achieve in our own strength and flesh will not last the test of time. We might see it kind of give a bit of a flurry to start with, but it won't last. It will die away if it's not got God's breath on it. Not so long ago, Caroline and I were buying a house, um, and we actually put two offers on two separate houses before the one that we bought now, Um, And there was no reason to suggest at all why we wouldn't get the houses that we put offers in on. They were both asking price or very similar um, and were were able to go in as a cash buyer because we had someone lending us some money at the time. So there was no reason at all to to understand why these people would decline our offers. But we just knew, well, we've prayed about what we need to offer and we're going to offer it because we want God's will. We don't want to strive to make this happen by our own strength. And so we put them in and when they were rejected, we just said, fine, it's not the house for us. And we could not be more blessed with the place that we're in now. And it makes so much more sense after not striving and making it work to see God's plan work in our lives. And so when you go into meetings and when you go into conversations, I wonder if you go in either feeling like you've not got something to contribute and that you can't add anything or that you're not worthy to be there, that you don't have a place, or whether you potentially think, I've got this and I can do it all in my own strength and it's fine. And they're they're complete opposites, but they're just as bad for us. They're just as unhealthy places to be. Living a life that says he must increase and I must decrease is about living a life that understands um, that it's Jesus living in us. He lives in you. When we aren't enough, he needs to take over. 
And when we think we are enough, he needs to take over because he lives in you. And the implications are twofold. We can achieve great things, but only through him. We can achieve greatness. We can live that extraordinary life, but only through him, only with his power working through us. And that verse that I just read, his power made perfect in weakness, goes on later to say this. Examine yourselves and see whether you are in faith. See whether you're in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I'll just read that again. I don't know if we've got that verse to put up. But examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Are we ready to see him working in us and through us? It's a step of faith to believe that. A test, in fact. I'm just going to give us a moment to reflect on that question for ourselves and where, where we might fall on the two sides of feeling overly confident or feeling worthless and not able to contribute. And I'm sure it will look different for each of us and we'll have uh, a different day, we'll feel different things. But maybe just take a moment to reflect on an area in your life that you might feel that now while we just listen to a song that might help frame it for a minute. He lives in you. Jesus Christ's power working in us and through us. He must increase and I must decrease. So that understanding of he lives in you, it doesn't mean that we're worthless. It's important to remember that, the fact that he works, that he lives in us and that it's his power that makes things grow. It's it's him that makes things happen. That does not mean that we are completely worthless. And in fact, I think that passage sometimes is grossly misrepresented to help to make people think that they are worthless. And if you left here today thinking that, that would be the last thing that I possibly wanted because that is not true. In fact, it is far from it. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that all this surpassing power is from God and not from us. And this is what John understood so clearly when he was saying he must increase and I must decrease. He understood that as we need to do, um, that we are the vessel for God to work through us, that we are jars of clay. And so here is my jar of clay, my vase. It's my, uh, that's us. So we're the jar of clay. Um, and, and what happens is when we become believers, God fills us with his spirit and his water. So that's Jesus filling us. That's just as we've, as we've read, that's the treasure working in us and through us. And what that enables to happen is for things to grow and flourish out of us and for fruit to bear. And the water keeps the flowers alive and helps them grow. It is God that brings the growth. That's the water. We just hold it all together. And he is the one that makes it grow. And just as the vase was crafted for purpose, so were you crafted for purpose. You were uniquely made, wonderfully and fearfully made for a purpose, to be a vessel for his glory and his purposes and his plans. Just as you pick the right flower to display the right, um, sorry, the right vase to display the right flowers. I actually had a better one that I broke this morning. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Hills. 
you have a significant part to play too, and you were chosen for a specific route and a specific person to, split, to display specific elements of his glory. And if we walk around not willing to be a vessel, um, if, we th- if we're solid, if there's no space for God to fill us and work through us, either by thinking that we don't need him to work through us because we can do it all in our own strength, um, or we think that we're not good enough and we're not worthy, guess what happens? The flowers are just going to die, and it's not very pretty, and it's messy, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need to live like a vessel. Jesus is saying to us, he made us perfectly. And if, and if we're not willing to live like the vessel that we were created to be, it's almost as if you were turning around to Jesus and saying, I don't like the way that you made me. Because he made us perfectly with a unique purpose to hold his glory, to be filled with him, to know that he lives in us. Galatians 1 says this, God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God was pleased to reveal his son in you. That means we can be so secure in who we are And it means that when we face situations, we don't need to strive and achieve things in our own strength. And we also don't need to worry that we're not good enough and that we're not not worthy because he made us perfectly so we can just rest in who we are in our security as a follower of Jesus. You are not significant, far from it. You are chosen and crafted to display him, Jesus, and his glory and to share the good news. But only if we realize that we're a vessel And that's exactly how a vase works. A vase wouldn't work if it was solid and it didn't have the place to hold the water in order for the flowers to be put in it and grow. So who takes the glory is my closing question to us. If he lives in us, if it's his power working in us and through us, if we're the jars partnering with him, the jars of clay, and if we're capable of achieving great things, but only with him, only with his power working through us, if he must increase and we must decrease, then it's an identity issue. So who takes the glory? If you know you've achieved something um, by being weak before him, by knowing there was no way you could do it in your own strength, just like I was sharing about how some people tell me when they pray for people, then often it can be a bit easier to give him the glory and say, do you know what, it was all God, it's so easy. But my question would be, if that's, if that's the scenario that you find yourself in, do you share that as openly with non-believers as you do with people in the church? Because I, I find that I find that when God's done something miraculous in my life, and someone who doesn't uh, follow Jesus asks me about it, I can sometimes go, "Oh well, you know, yeah, we just worked and made, and made it happen," rather than giving Him the glory and using it as an amazing evangelistic opportunity to share the gospel. Or if we've stri- strived to achieve something in our own strength, uh, we haven't been a vessel, then we've we've literally stolen the glory in the first place. And especially if we share it with others. I make these brownies, and they are. Amazing. Basically, if you've not had them, I'm really sorry, and we'll pray for you later, um, because they are unbelievable. Um, but they're a Jamie Oliver recipe, my hero. So whenever I make them for people and people fall over themselves telling me how amazing these brownies are, then, then I say, well, it's actually a Jamie Oliver recipe. And there was just wisdom in following the steps and just following what the recipe that Jamie Oliver told me to follow follows. So Jamie Oliver gets the glory, almost. Um, 
And, and the same is true for us. As followers of Jesus, we've got the instructions, we've got the recipe in the Bible. And so we just follow the steps and we follow his leading. And then when someone goes, wow, God did something amazing in your life, you can just go, well, I just followed Jesus. I just followed the steps in the book. And he's the one that needs to take the glory. So where do you need less of you and more of him? Is maybe our question to, to land on. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your studies if you're studying. Or maybe it's with parenting and running your household and looking after the kids. Where do you know? Either because you're striving to do things in your own strength and you think you've got it all together, or because you just think you've got nothing to contribute. Where do you need more of him working in you and through you? Are we open to let him have his way? And then when it makes us look small, or look small, we can look big to him, and we can rejoice in that. C.S. Lewis says this. I love this quote. We'll just end on this. C.S. Lewis says, we must learn to play great parts without feeling pride and small parts without shame. We must learn to play great parts without pride and small parts without shame. I think I've said enough, so let's um, stand and we'll pray. He lives in you. Lord, we want to thank you for that. What amazing, simple truth. Sometimes so hard to get our head around, but mind-blowing one if we do. That you live in us. Your power, your glory, your greatness. So Lord, quite simply, we come before you today and say, help us to be a vessel. Help us to be jars of clay to allow you to live in us more. We pray, Lord, that you would increase and that we would decrease. Come and move in power, Lord. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you begin to call to mind areas or places in which um, there's an application of this for us. Speak to, speak to those hearts that need to see themselves as a beautifully crafted vase to hold your presence. Speak to us, Lord, where we've, we've been doing things in our own strength and you're saying, just, just come and do it my way. Not only will it be easier and more freeing, but there'll be more fruit, there'll be more growth, and there'll be more glory for the kingdom. Come and speak, Lord.